First John chapter five, and uh, we're closing out First John this year. And next year, we're going to have the exciting opportunity to uh, jump into a, a new book. And uh, I'm excited about about that. But uh, I'll wait on the reveal on that one. Uh, still, still thinking and praying about it. But uh, we're going to jump into a, a book. We've done a couple of short books. Maybe, maybe we should do a little a longer one. I don't know. And maybe Old Testament. Uh, maybe that'd be kind of cool. We haven't done Old Testament. Uh, in a while, so that'd be kind of awesome. But we will, we will see. Um, and so, as we've talked about quite often, um, where's Caleb? Caleb's in the back there. Caleb, in the book of First John, God is compared to two things. What, what two things is he compared to? Love and light. Love and light. Oh, baby. Don't think because he's sitting in the back. He doesn't know what's going on. So, thanks, Caleb. God is love and God is light. And the whole book of 1 John fleshes out those two ideas. What does it mean for God to be light? That God exposes, that God is distinct from evil. God is love in the same way. Uh, uh, God, uh, everything God does moves from a place of love. So John is trying to help his churches in uh, Turkey uh, at this time understand that because some people have come into the midst and tried to preach some different things about Jesus that are not accurate. Uh, and so especially if you are John, if, the, if this is, in fact, the Apostle John who writes this book, obviously he would take umbrage at that because he not only knew Jesus, but as he says in his in his gospel, I was the, the one Jesus loved. And, and he was very, very close to Jesus. So he's trying to help his his churches understand who the real Jesus, in fact, was. Um, the title of my lesson today is Hail to the Victor. And uh, today's lesson was always going to be on victory no matter what happened uh, in any sort of sporting events of any kind. Um, but I think it was rivalry weekends. So there were a lot of rivalry games. And when you watch rivalry games, uh, no matter what the team's records are, or how bad they are, they want to win that game because uh, it's a rivalry game. But uh, Hail to the Victor is the name of the sermon. And we will jump in and just start reading away here in First John 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. The word overcome there is the word I want to focus in on today. Everyone born of God, born of God overcomes the world. That word in Greek uh, is Nike. Uh, the word Nike is just the word for the Greek goddess of victory. Uh, and so that's where they got the name for the company. Uh, and so the word used here by John is this idea of this Greek goddess. And this Greek goddess... Um, she was pretty awesome. Uh, there's a picture of her. Uh, she had a couple of brothers. You probably, I don't know if you've heard of Kratos. Kratos is the god of power. Um, he had a couple, other, a couple other siblings there. But Nike was this god, and she would carry around a palm branch or a wreath, like I showed in the first slide there, which is actually the wreath you'd be given if you won the Olympics or you won an, an event in the Olympics. You'd be given a crown, a crown of bay leaves or a crown of palm leaves, and this, that would be your, your trophy. Uh, and so for them, that was, their, that was their gold medal, was actually a, a wreath. 
okay? That they'd wear, there'd be a crown they wear on their head. And so Nike would, would fly around. She was this incredible charioteer, which means she had this chariot. And, uh, you know, if, uh, she would fly around in this great battle between the Titans and the gods. This is mythology, by the way, uh, which means it's not true. Uh, so, but Nike would fly around. Uh, uh, some of you out there are going, that's interesting. Uh, Nike would fly around and, and she would wait and she would look in the battle between the Titans and the gods. And she would, she would look for moments of valor, moments of victory, moments of, of, of conquest, moments of overcoming. And she would, if, in that moment, would uh, fly around and give you that wreath, basically to award fame and honor. And it's like you win first place in a competition, right? You get the trophy, you get the, you get the acclaim, you get the fame, you get the fans. Uh, and all of us are attracted to that. Now, it might not be sports that we're attracted to it, although sports is a big way that we can compete. And that we can have victory. Uh, a lot of us, like maybe you're myself, you have those few moments in your life where you excelled athletically. Um, and uh, you remember them with, with uh, actually probably with exaggerated detail at times. Uh, and so uh, probably not really what happened, but that one triple you hit in Little League, man, that was an awesome triple. And you saw the ball coming and you really turned on it. And you, you, I remember this was me. I actually made the turn around third to hit a, a home run, but my third base coach held me up. Uh, at third, wouldn't let me. He said, he said I couldn't make it because I wasn't fast enough. But I would have scored. I would have scored. I was nine years old, and I would have scored. And I always remember that triple that I hit because it was the best hit I ever had in baseball. And I could tell the story with great detail. Whether it's true, no one knows. But uh, in my memory, it exists as, as real. Uh, I believe it was real. But those moments right in the flag football tournament, those beautiful moments of, of victory where Nike rides up on the chariot and gives you that wreath of I got the sack or I got the interception or it doesn't have to just be sports, though. It could also happen in battle, in war uh, to, to, to be. We all want to win in battle and, and think about history. Think about Eisenhower as he speaks to the men at, at, on, on the eve of D-Day, the largest land invasion in, in military history when, when we'll invade France there in 1944. And Eisenhower says to the troops, you know, the eyes of the world are upon you. Uh, he doesn't say, go give it your best. It doesn't really matter. No, he said, we got to We got to take the land. When Churchill is, is speaking, right, in World War II, he says, we will fight them on the land. We will fight them on the beaches. We will fight them on the, on the ocean. We will fight them with growing confidence in the air. We will defend our island, whatever the cost may be. And it's those speeches that we remember, those moments, because it was we're going to win even when all hope was lost. It was victory. It was competition. It was conquest. It was overcoming obstacles. And so if you're thinking, oh, 0 for 2, I don't really battle, you know, uh, uh, you know competition in sports. We also want to be victorious in romance. In love, we want to win. As Shakespeare puts it, I think he puts it well when he says, she is beautiful that she should be wooed. She is a woman that she should be won. And this idea of like, we got to win her affections. I got to be, I got to woo her. I got to court her. I got to impress her. I got to take her to the nice Italian restaurant because her family's Italian. And I got to learn how to order with, I got to learn how to order with the little accents. Like, I'll have the lasagna, you know, I got to, I got to impress her. I got to make her, it's going to be cool. Even though I'm like, you know, Scots Irish, it's okay. I'm going to learn the Italian. I'm going to get her. I'm going to, we're going to figure it out. And it's going to be awesome because I got to impress her. And I got to, I got to remember that gift she mentioned like, you know, six months ago to get it for Christmas because yeah. it'll impress her. It'll woo her. It'll court her. Then I can win her affections, right? We, we all want to, to win. We all want, to, and it doesn't matter. Uh, it could be your job. I want the promotion. We all want Nike to come up and yeah. place that crown on our head. No matter what it is, we want our kids to score that goal, even though they're five years old and nothing really matters when they're five years old. But we want our kid to score and go and run and get there. Go. And we yell at them. Stop. Go. Move faster. Um, 
Have you guys seen the, the video of the, the little soccer goalie, uh, five-year-old who's talking to his dad, and the, the ball's about to score, and the dad pushes the kid <laughs> to block the shot? Uh, and the kid cries, but the dad's like, yeah. <laughs> block the shot, kid. You know, it's just like this great moment of like, who cares about you? Like, we got to win, right? You're five. This is huge. So, but we all crave this moment. And so when John uses this word, he, he uses it on purpose. We read overcome. He's going to use the word victory here in a second. But when he says we, we want to overcome, he's saying we, we all want, we all want the, the Nike to come up and, and give us the wreath. We all want the goddess of victory to give us fame, acclaim, friends, uh, uh, fortune. We all want those moments of validation. And so we'll, we'll pick up, but just when we read that that's, that, that's what we need to be thinking about, just like the original audience would. We'll pick up in verse five. Actually, let's do verse four. For everyone born of God, Nike's the world. This is the Nike that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? It's Nike again. Who is it that Nike's the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water and the blood. And there are three that are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. One of the things that is also special about this passage is the word testimony is the word uh, in Greek martyr. And it might be special even to read that differently in verse nine. We accept human martyrdom, but God's martyr, his testimony is greater because it is the martyr of God, which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this martyr. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the martyr God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. This is the martyr that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. John does something here that is meant to be helpful. John is trying to clarify to his audience. And I think he does. But when we read this passage, I'm not sure that we actually find it to be very clarifying, but maybe a bit more obscuring or muddling like okay what did you just say um the blood and the water it sounds like a riddle like what blood what water testify what test who's testifying and i have the son if he has me if i abide in the son the, the son abides in me and he gives us the spirit and so we're going to try our best to try to figure out what john's trying to help his audience understand and i believe that the audience there is a lot like us they're struggling with something and we're going to actually tackle it in uh, part one which is today and then part two, which will either be next time or the time after that, depending because the Christmas party uh, is coming up there soon next week. Um, so we're going to do part one and part two. But what, what John's trying to do is help his audience with doubt and with reassuring them, which honestly is what we need probably 80, 90 percent of the time is just reassurance, is reminding, uh, is prodding. Because uh, we, struggle to, we struggle to overcome. Uh, we actually, the moments of Nike are not that often probably in our lives. So a lot of moments of defeat, a lot of moments of struggle, uh, whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual, uh, there's a lot that gets us down. And uh, when he talks about overcoming the world, he's talking about victory. 
Victory over temptation and, and victory over obstacles and op- opposition. And so when we talk about this morning victory, the question for all of us is, which temptations have we lost, have we lost the battle in? Uh, which opposition? How are we losing? How are we losing ground? Uh, how have we lost the battle? How have we gotten down? Because the, the passage here says we can overcome. We can have victory. But there's only one way to have victory, according to the passage. If you notice, he says, by our faith. And we've got to have faith is just another word for trust. So the question then is, is in what do we in what do we place our trust? OK, maybe if we look at the back of our money, this is still saying God, we trust in the back of the dollar. I think he still says it maybe just for a few more years. I cherish that um, in God, we trust in God, we trust. Right. So we're going to have to figure out what do we trust um, and how do we get that victory? So he says this word pistis, which is a word for faith, but it really just means trust, which is really, really, really hard in our world. Um, in the world that we live in, the older you get, I think the less we trust. In fact, Abraham Lincoln said, said it well. He said, in this sad world of ours, sorrow comes to all. And to the young, it comes with bitterest agony because it takes them unawares. The older have come to expect it. And And Abraham Lincoln knew a thing or two about this. He lost his sister when she was young. He lost his mom when she was young. He lost a couple children. Uh, He was not, uh, uh, he lost almost every political race he ran until the the Republican nomination of 1860. But one of the things he says, I think, is very true for all of us. Uh, Perhaps we start off with this great, this great faith, this great trust. And then over time, we just, well, that's just the way it is. Well, I can, I'll never really be able to conquer that sin. It's just part of me. And we can lose faith in a lot of things. We can lose trust in a lot of things. Uh, we can lose faith in the victory. I mean, we read passages like this, and it's an emotional appeal, but it doesn't really have any value in our real life. Uh, it make us feel better about this morning, but will we really win? Can we, can we really win? And I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I've, I've lost faith, either in myself or in others or, or in God altogether, of what are we really doing here? What's, what, what's really, what, what really separates us? I can have doubts of like, man, am I really living the life that God's called me to live? Are we as a church really living a life that's spirit led? Are we actually led by the spirit or are we just uh, some group of people who happen to kind of bump into each other because of a a website or because of a a proximity or geography or whatever or life stage? Is this really like victory? Like, will I have lived my life just in vain? Will I have wasted it? Is this really true? Like personally for me, like sin, am I always going to? Be this way, and I've had conversations like that. Of, am I always going to struggle with sexual purity? Is there any real hope for me, or am I am I always going to be deceitful in my heart and cut corners and try to try to win? One of my biggest struggles in life is I have an idol towards success. I want to win everything, which means I cut corners. Which means I which means in the past I've been okay with cheating because I want to win, and I wanted and, and my idol of success has driven that into me to where I, I'm ultra competitive uh, and, and where I, I I need to win because success is my is my idol. And one of the ways that Satan can, get, can destroy a lot of us is he gets us to lose faith. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't talk about it enough. We don't confess it nearly enough. Think about the last time someone called you and said, I need to confess I'm struggling with my faith. Yeah. Or I'm struggling with faithlessness. Or I haven't been faithful recently. No, it's usually I'm struggling because my kid. I'm struggling because my husband. Mm-hmm. I'm struggling because I don't have enough money. I'm struggling because the school is nuts. I'm struggling because, Right? All these circumstantial, circumstantial things that are the problem. But we don't actually talk about faith. And so the question is, is have we lost faith? 
Because if we've lost faith, what hope is there? The passage here says we've, we've got to overcome the world, but we do it through trust. We do it through faith. Remember Jesus with the Pharisees. The Pharisees said to Jesus, show us miracles and we'll have faith. Jesus says, have faith and I'll show you miracles. And even Jesus was like, I'm not some dog and pony show. Where's your faith? Where, 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 do you actually believe? Do you actually trust? And we don't, we, we stop trusting. Um, we just uh, in ourselves. You know, some of us, uh, we, we lose faith that we can ever really become a disciple. Some of us this morning, we have that on our plate. Of, Should I really make this commitment or not? But we think, I don't know. I don't know if I can really do it. I don't know if I can really make it. What if I get baptized and I struggle? What if I get back into this sin that's, that's so easily entangled? What if I mess up? What if it turns out I don't like people? What if I, what if I want to leave? I want to have a back door, right? What if it, yeah. I want to get out. I, what, I don't want to just make a commitment. It's safe and we, know we can lose faith in ourselves. We can lose faith in our marriage. Yeah. We can lose faith in marriage in general. I was just talking to some friends recently talking about, uh, I wasn't even aware of this, but a lot of people going into marriage don't even consider having a joint bank account. Just keep it separate. Yeah. Just keep it separate. You pay off your loans. I pay off mine. Keep it separate. You just kind of hedge your bets, right? Just kind of hedge your bets, kind of not really trusting, not really hoping for the best, but really just expecting the worst. Um, in, our, in our spouse, we just, it's just a cohabitation. There's no trust, right? We struggle to even trust our spouse. Uh, that's, that's from living in a world where, honestly, a lot of what we see, Jane and I were watching a movie recently, and in the movie, there was a married couple that didn't cheat on each other. And we were like, that's amazing. Every show you watch, Every movie, there's adultery. Like everyone, we find a movie where like the couple, the married couple had fun for the for the whole movie and got along. And we were like, that's a nice movie. That was oh, let's watch that one again. That was a nice one because we live in a world where, where every, it's just no, it's gonna go bad. It's gonna end poorly. You're gonna find out something about her you didn't know. You're gonna find out something about him you didn't know. You're gonna get divorced. So just kind of just get just prepare for it to just you know play not to lose, right? Instead of really have faith and trust that it can be incredible. It can be incredible. How about our sin? I talk to too many people, too many people that just say, Drew, this is who I am. Drew, this is just, it's been years. I've tried everything. I, I give up. I can't. And I've been there myself. I've said those things. And I've, I had brothers who said, no, Drew, you can get there. You will get there. Just don't give up. Okay. One of my favorite C.S. Lewis passages. I can't get through a sermon without quoting him, really. You know, uh, as you guys, a lot of you know. But a lot of brothers, a lot of brothers want to be sexually pure. And they say, I'm not pure. I got to be pure. This is quest for purity. And C.S. Lewis says, perhaps the goal is not purity. Perhaps the goal is learning the power of never giving up. And, and too many men give up. They give up. This is who I am. Too many young women give up. This is who I am. This is just what I do. And we lose faith in, in conquering the evil one. That Jesus steps on it with his heel. That Jesus will conquer sin and that we can have victory in Nike over sin. We can crush sin, but we, we get we get faithless. We lose hope and we just kind of we just kind of coast along uh, in our lives. And lastly, sometimes for one of the most scary ones is we have made the commitment to follow Jesus. But we're, we're questioning leaving. We're, we're saying maybe I should leave. Maybe I should leave God because I don't know if I can finish. I don't know if I have what it takes to finish. What if I can't make it? What if I'm not enough? What if I blow it? What if I mess up? What if something happens? What if someone else does something to me? All these things go through our head. And we talked about last week, fear being its own punishment, right? Fear, and that's what the, that's what the passage before this says, is fear is its own punishment. And we get sucked into this and we actually, what we do is we end up being our own worst enemy. 
And it's fear. And we're enslaved by fear. And Satan has won the battle with fear. And I get it. I was talking to a couple people about this recently. The older I get, the more I don't trust people. Right? Every day I get a phone call from a number that I don't recognize. I assume it's a scam. And it probably is. And we get letters in the mail. They're like, there's a problem with your mortgage. Call this number. There ain't no problem with the mortgage. You just want to take my money. There's all these problems. And we have scams every day. And people meet you. And, they, and they're looking for a way to network you. Looking for a way to use you. Looking for a way to... And so you don't trust anyone. Yeah. Right. And so the older you get, you feel more like, you know, like what Lincoln was saying. Like, we just expect it. Yeah. We just expect it to be sad. And the more you accept it to be sad, the more you'll be happier. But it's a lie. Yeah. We cannot lose that. We cannot lose the faith and victory, the faith, the trust in winning, that winning is still there, not just there, but winning is all but certain. But we, we, we buy into the losing attitude, the losing battle. And we do things for Jesus, but we do them uh, uh, with no faith that it'll actually work. You ever shared your faith to somebody, invited them to church? Maybe this actually is obvious from a third party. I was doing this with a brother one time, and he was sharing his faith, and it just looked like the most painful thing ever for him. And I told him later, I appreciate you sharing with him and reaching out to him, inviting him to church. But it just, I would never, if you talked to me like that, I would never come to church. It sounded like it was horrible. Like, that's not exciting at all. It's just, hey, do you want to, I mean, you don't have to if you're busy. I, I get that you have kids. I get that you have other things. I know your kid has soccer. And like our church tries to be accommodating. And we, we, have, we have kids ministry. And we have, dude, I don't want to go to your church. I, I, you're, you're convincing me I do have other important things to do. Thanks for reaffirming all of my worldly notions. Adios. Like, no, we're interrupting his life because this is better than that stuff. Because your child prioritizing Jesus is better than that. Those sports and those clubs. It's better. You and your marriage will be better and we lose it. And we just, we, we buy into the fear. and We buy into the loss and the discouragement. And it, it, it zaps away everything. You know how many problems go away if we just have fun, if we're happy, if we're faithful? So many things go away. You know, the world buys this, uh, gets us to buy into the wrong kind of victory. Uh, that's this other part of this. Is not only do we, do we quit the battle, not only do we give up on really believing in Jesus' victory, we buy into the wrong kind of victory. This happens a lot in churches where you can think of victory as getting bigger, growing, uh, getting stronger, getting more attractive, uh, having better music, right? Oh, things are great. We've, we, we've won as a church because of those things, apparently, which I'm not sure why. But we, we have that kind of worldly perspective toward victory, victory as, as, as it pertains to comparing to others. We win because we're better than others. Wow. Uh, and, and, you know, you guys probably heard of this guy here. Sorry. C.S. Lewis again. <laughs> if you just read his stuff, you know, we wouldn't have to do this. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of you have. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something. Only out of having more of it than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. And this is what C.S. Lewis tries to help us see is a prideful man will pursue a woman not because he wants to actually, you know, attain this relationship with a woman. He wants to just beat the other guy. Uh, we, have, and we, and we compete and we, we compare. And we have this idea of victory in our spiritual life. And so a lot of times, especially for young Christians, they get baptized and they sort of assume that Satan will just wander off with his tail between his legs into the distance. But Satan ain't going nowhere. In fact, you're on the other team. And last time I checked, you play harder against the other team. You will try to kill the other side in battle. Right. So Satan comes after us and we're surprised. 
We're surprised and we think, well, I'm a Christian now, so I should be able to win. I should be able to be strong. I shouldn't have to struggle. There should be no failure. I shouldn't have to need people. Why? Who said that? Ever. Hopefully no one. Jesus never said it. In fact, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Remember, I have Nike'd the world. I have had victory over the world. Jesus says that in John 16, 33. Jesus says, in this world, you'll have trouble. We've got to learn the power of never giving up. And so when we think about who the real victors, we've got to change our perspective of what victory is. I try to tell people, uh, and they, 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 they come and they confess, and they, they're so ashamed of the things they have to confess. And the one thing I ask is, when did this happen, and how long did it take to get open about it? That's what I care about. I don't care about what happened. We can talk about that, and God will grant victory, but why did you hide it for six months? Well, I, I was ashamed. I should be stronger by now. I've been a Christian for two weeks, right? I've been a Christian for 10 years, 30 years. I shouldn't struggle with this. So what, what got in the way? It was, it was pride. It was competition. I, you're, I should be better than those others by now. But instead, what you've done is you've, you, your idea of victory is being strong. How about instead of trying to be strong, you try to be faithful? Amen. How about instead of trying to be dominant, you be humble? How about instead of trying to compare and be better and try to measure up to everybody else? You're vulnerable. That's strength. And that's the kind of man, person that Jesus was. Is he was strong. He was vulnerable. Jesus never sinned, but the guy was confessing. Isn't that wild? We, we sin and don't confess. Jesus, sin, Jesus never sinned, but was confessing in the Garden of Eden. Or the Garden of Eden. That's too, maybe, maybe he was, time-wise. In the Garden of Gethsemane. Right? They're two different gardens. Jesus is still confessing, but because Jesus' strength, he had a different kind of victory. His victory was not to be stronger, to win, to have the fame and the friends and the accolades and the crown. Right? It wasn't. The crown of the, the wreath. That wasn't his kind of victory. And that wasn't what drew us to him. And it's not what draws us to him now. Because yeah. we could go anywhere else and find that in, in, a, in a worldly Jesus or at work or in a marriage or whatever. Right. But we go to Jesus because we saw some, someone special who conquered the world through a different kind of victory. And I do want to explain what this means to the best of my ability. But the passage says, listen to the testimony. We've got to trust the testimony. First of all, it says, listen, trust God's testimony. Amen. We've got to read our Bibles. Okay. Amen. Trust God's testimony. Yeah. Are we reading our Bibles at all? And are we trusting it? But second of all, what he really means is trust the water and trust the blood. What does that really mean? As best we can tell, it means, listen, which is kind of incredible. Jesus' baptism was valid and his crucifixion was valid. Yeah. Those two things. What does it mean? It means Jesus lived life righteously and he died righteously, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's very thorough. It's both things. Because if it was just the blood, we would have this incredible model, this unattainable model to follow. If Jesus just lived a perfect life and then said, go do the same, we would be so discouraged all the time. We would be so sad. I'm never going to be Jesus. He got up early while it was still dark to pray. We got to strive to do that, but it can be intimidating. Right? Jesus' standard is unattainable. If it was just the blood... If we just had his atoning sacrifice, he'd be a license. He'd be a license to sin. Well, Jesus died for me. Let's go do whatever we want. Right? But it's not. It's both. We have an incredible standard to follow, but we have grace to help us along the way. 
It is perfect balance. And John says, you want to trust the testimony, trust that. Because that, that will keep you anchored. And this whole section is on helping us be truly grounded in Christ's love. How do we be grounded in Christ's love? How can that be the thing we fall back on? I tell this story a lot, but when, when bad things happen to us, we, um, we fall back on something deeper. We go, well, at least I'm, I don't know, an executive at my job, even though my marriage is in shambles. Well, at least my, I don't know, at least I'm good at this game. I don't know. We fall back on something deeper. But I was playing Risk one time with a buddy in college, and I, and I was beating him. And uh, I destroyed him. I, uh, I destroyed his armies. He's a good friend. He's a disciple out in the, uh, the Denver church. Um, and uh, he, he got up, and uh, after he had lost, because he had, you know, in Risk, you, you don't stick around. You're gone. You go, oh, leave, you know. Uh, so he, as he's leaving, he goes, at least I have a girlfriend. And he left. And we were all just sitting there because the rest of us were single at the time. We're just like, that is messed up, man. But in the moment, he was, you know, he was devastated by losing at risk and thought he fell back on something a little deeper. He's like, oh, at least I'm dating. Right. It's kind of funny, but we all do that every day. At least, at least I have this. John's trying to help us understand what are you falling back on? Are you grounded in God's love? And the only way to fall back on God's love is having a perfect understanding that it's not about your performance. It is not about being ready to get baptized. You're ready now. All it, all it means is you make a commitment to repent. The repentance is hard. Making a decision to repent is hard. Truly repenting, right, is just a mindset change, just a decision. It's not performance. It's, it, the blood covers. But here's the thing. It can't be a license and it can't be a, a performance review. It's both working together. And if we can be grounded in that, we have the freedom to pursue excellence with Jesus, but to get up every time we fall down. Because every time we fall down, we can learn the power of never giving up because Jesus says victory is not dominance or glory or uh, machismo. Dominance is never giving up. It's humility. It's vulnerability. Victory comes through being able to be grounded in something that can never be shaken. Politics will change, as you're aware. Politics will change. Government will change. We may very soon be in a country that uh, not only taxes religion, but uh, shuns it. Um, are we okay? And hey, listen, but if we're grounded in God's love, we'll deal with it. Uh, your marriage may not be in the best place, but if you're grounded in God's love, God will grant victory. I can't tell you what's going to happen. You may be addicted to sin sitting in your chair right now. He's been drew I'm in it right now. If you're grounded in God's love, you'll have the confidence to be able to pursue change, but you, but you won't be puffed up with your own pride because it'll be about Jesus. And so this is an incredible calling. It's a tough one, but it's the most important thing we can ever have is to be grounded in God's love. So the question that we have to ask is, in what are we grounded? And what, what do you fall back on? As we close out, Hail to the Victor was the title of the sermon, right? We talked about changing our perspective of victory. Victory for the world is fame, it's accolades, it's beating others, it's winning, uh, being better than others. Um, it's looking like you have it all together, looking like you're organized, looking like the house is clean. It's looking, it's maintaining an appearance. That's the world's version of victory. But instead of embracing a crown of wreath, Jesus embraced a crown of thorns. 
Instead of embracing fame, Jesus embraced shame. In fact, he embraced the cross, scorning its shame. Instead, instead of having friends nearby cheering him on, he had friends who were too embarrassed to be near him and too self-focused to come along with him. Instead of having people who would look back on every moment in detail and exaggerate, they would mark it down in history as a, a moment of great embarrassment for the Christian religion that their God was killed in the most embarrassing way. And instead of trying to appear better than others that night, he let his friends see him in his most vulnerable place. He said, come to the garden of Gethsemane with me while I pray for my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. The son of God said, I am overwhelmed. He let his friends see him in a vulnerable place. And that was victory. Satan didn't expect it. Satan was caught off guard. Satan wasn't expecting that. He was expe- Satan bought into the, the, he was drinking the Kool-Aid of the world. He was like, it's, he's going to come and be dominant and strong and beat me in some battle. No, Jesus beats you the way that God has always worked, that God has always found affection in us. God has always found triumph. And you know how it is? You know what it was? That God is love. He's always been love. And it's exciting. It's, 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 it's endearing. And the fact that Jesus would do all of that for us. There's this great movie where this, uh, this guy's telling this girl he likes that I'm going to win this tournament for you. She says, actually, I'd like you to lose it for me. He goes, what? No, I'm going to win it for you. She said, no, I'd actually like you to lose it for me. What's she saying? She's saying, do you really want me or do you want to win? You know, Jesus loved us enough to lose for us. He lost for us and not even knowing how we'd respond. That's the kind of love that I want to follow the rest of my life no matter what happens. That's the kind of love I want to follow the rest of my life no matter what happens in my marriage, with my kids, God, God willing, right? I don't know what's going to happen, what's going to go down. But let's commit to each other. Let's commit to God that we'll never, ever, ever give up. And remember 1 Peter 2.21, which says, To this you were called, that Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. No deceit was found in his mouth. He committed no sin. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Why? So that we might die to sins, but live for righteousness. For it is by his wounds we have been healed. And as we sing this final song, let's be grateful for the victory of God. Let's celebrate a flawless victory uh, and be able to have grace in, the, uh, in what God's done, know his grace, but to also strive to follow his example. Amen. Let's actually say a prayer. The singers will come up and we'll close with a final song.